Hey guys, thanks for tuning into Real Blend. On this week's show, we have trailer reactions, a great Mulan debate, and special guest director Rachel Lee Goldenberg, who's talking about her new comedy, Unpregnant. So stay tuned. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 134 of Real Blend, a podcast that really wishes it was in Toronto right now. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and uh, boy, oh boy, do we have an episode chock-filled with really great things for you guys, including uh, some enticing trailer talk, reactions to some really big things that are going to be coming our way, Mulan talk, uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's the hill I want to die on, but whenever we have a conversation where two people uh, feel one way and one person feels the other, it gets pretty heated. So we'll see how heated I, I choose to get over uh, over Mulan. And uh, this week, uh, we caught up with the HBO film Unpregnant, and we have Rachel Lee Goldenberg, the director, as our guest. But before we get into the show proper... Let me introduce the guys to you in case you're joining us for one of the very first times. I'm going to start with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., who is going to see Tenet for the 11th time tonight. Hi, Kev. How are you? 37th. Come on, Sean. Get that right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, trying to get, I'm, I'm trying to get to the Kevin Smith clerk's number. No, I um, fourth time. Fourth time for Tenet. Uh, I've seen it three times. It's I, I couldn't be more excited to see it again as I was the first time. It's, I have a it's lot just of questions for amazing. You about how it's playing, but we'll wait till we get there. Um, because Please. we have to introduce Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Chicago, hi, Jakey. How are you? Doing well, man. I've only seen 10 at once because I'm an adult and I have shit to do. Well, I thought you went a second time. Did you not? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I like the first man shirt. That's nice. <laughs> Thanks. Did you get that for free? Of course I got it for like 80% <laughs> of my wardrobe is either a boy's large shirt from Baby Gap or right. movie swag. Gotcha. All right. Plugs. I uh, want everybody to know that we are posting our episodes onto Cinema Blend's YouTube pages. So if you're watching us right now and also seeing Jake's free T-shirt, you know that uh, we have the videos posted here. So do me a favor and hit subscribe and turn on your notifications. Uh, the Nolan interview blew up, is doing really, really well in terms of its views, and it's helping us build some subscribers, which has been great. Uh, of course, we are also available all different places that you can get your podcasts. And then this week in particular, we are doing something really, really cool. No, wait, next week. We're, t- uh, we're doing something really cool. Next week. Um, yeah, I just got to get the dates right. We are teaming up with Warner Brothers for a really cool opportunity that's going to take place on their YouTube page. They're going to have a series of documentaries that they're going to air uh, each night from uh, September 15th through the 22nd. I want to say it is. Gabe, you will clarify for that with me uh, in a second. And each night they're going to dedicate um, a documentary to a specific filmmaker 
Martin Scorsese gets one evening. Clint Eastwood gets one evening. Uh, they have Frank Darabont and a documentary about the Green Mile. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is going to get an evening. And Warner Brothers asked your friends at Real Blend to host this series. And so we will have... Um, introductions that we're doing for the documentaries and then throughout each one we're going to be live tweeting it using our socials and using real blends socials as well too so a really great opportunity that we're super excited for and uh and thrilled that warner brothers asked us to do that um we're going to be kicking off with a quick intro to the filmmakers starting on so gabe what's the date it's tuesday the 15th right Tuesday the 15th, uh, yep, and through Friday, and then there's a break over the weekend, and it picks up with a documentary on the following Monday and the following Tuesday, and for the folks at home, and we really want to see the Blenders um, sort of participating, hanging out with us, joining in on the conversation, using hashtag WBFilmmakers, that's the official hashtag for the event, Um, so, you know, we love chatting with you guys every week, and we we want to see you come along and, and take a look at these documentaries and hang out. And just to clarify, the YouTube channel it's on is the Warner Bros. Home Video channel. Just yes. to clarify on that. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And it's cool. Check, you can check the, the description. I'll have links and everything in there for you to, to find out where to stream. The Scorsese one specifically is geared towards Goodfellas. Uh, oh, there's a yes. Fury Road, a Mad Max Fury Road one, and George Miller. The Clint Eastwood one's kind of like a career uh, retrospective, but it's geared towards Unforgiven. I mean, he's been, he's been kind of their golden boy for a long time, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Has he worked with any other studio? Has it always been Warner Brothers? I mean, every time I've ever interviewed him in my career has been a Warner Brothers film. And I think so. he has an office on the Warner Brothers lot. That's awesome. He's one of the oh, brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine getting to the point in your career where you just get an office on the Warner yeah. Brothers lot? Well, that's, that's pretty great. Than having. That's pretty amazing. And remember All that right. time we all got to interview him on the same day and got to uh, share that experience? That was so And awesome. what is probably going to be his last on-screen performance? You think it will be? Oh, that's I think the mule. I think the Mule will be his last one. It's interesting. Yeah, it very well could be. Oh, you never know with him. He turns out a movie or two a year. Which yeah, is something true. In between uh, golf think. outings. Yeah, true. Uh, I want right. Unforgiven 2. Forgiveness. <laughs> Unforgivable. <laughs> Un- Unforgivable. <laughs> as long as you're not asking for uh, Jersey Boys 2, then I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's just fine. I still, my favorite Clint Eastwood story doesn't even involve me. It involves Kevin getting a chance to interview him haphazardly <laughs> at Sully. And uh, Kevin Kevin wasn't even supposed to interview him. Clint just decided he was going to hop into a room and he was eating peanuts the entire time. So we have a number of photographs that we share in the real blend text chain. And one is one that I've saved that's just Clint with peanuts up to his mouth. I have never felt more honored for someone to talk to me with their mouth full in, in, in ever in my life than that moment. It's so <laughs> like, it, such an interesting like, thing. Like we've all interviewed him. And, yeah. and so like. There is definitely this attitude of like he just genuinely doesn't care anymore. But I've never felt that attitude toward myself or mm. the interview. Pro- like, sure, he may sit in an interview and like eat peanuts while he's talking to you, but he's giving you such oh, incredible. Yeah. Yes. Like, like I've never walked yeah. out of a room with him and thought like, oh, that could have gone better. Like, he is still at oh. ninety, at uh, nearly ninety. Yeah. Oh, what a what a what a what a! There- I cannot wait to see that documentary. There was nothing disrespectful about it. Like Jake was just saying, no. like Jake, Jake and I had a chance to talk to him recently for Richard Jewell. And like he stood up, shook yeah. our hands when we walked in. We got like eight minutes with him or whatever it was. But we had like extra time with him, whatever. But in the in the case that Sean's referring to, he was eating when he's eating peanuts. It wasn't because he was being rude. He just wanted some peanuts. He was just <laughs> Clint Eastwood. He was hungry. Well, it's a movie about <laughs> flying, too. So he just assumed to fly oh, peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were airline peanuts. I, how did I not know that? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, all right, weekly poll. So we threw a weekly poll up uh, heading into the weekend because Mulan was going to be made available on Disney Plus, and you would have to pay an additional twenty nine ninety nine in order to see it. The premium price. Uh, to get the what should be a first run film going to theaters, but Disney decided they're going to go the streaming service route. And so we simply asked you guys, are you going to pay for Mulan this weekend or not? And uh, yes or no. So, um, Jake, what do you think won? Yes or I... no? And try to guess the percentages. <laughs> sure. If you were, if it were sort of the general public, I would lean toward no, but because mm-hmm. the people that tend to follow our podcast tend yeah. to be pretty big movie fans, I'm going to yeah. say that. Yes, was the winning answer. Mm. Um, Interesting. But I'm going to say that it's maybe not as big of a number as Disney Plus would like to hear. So I'm going to say it's going to be like a 55. All right. That, your your logic is sound, uh, but you are completely wrong. Am I? <laughs> the nose actually scored 83% wow. of the vote. <laughs> yes. Wow. And hey, you know what's funny? Sometimes I vote because I really do have an opinion. I did. I purposefully did not vote because obviously we all got screeners. Yeah. And so I did not want to um, diffuse the, the whatever, the, the legitimacy of the, yeah. of the poll. Well, the poll, it got 237 votes. People do play along, um, but people just did not want to. And I don't, have you guys seen statistics or numbers on what it did? I know they don't reveal no, that stuff. They haven't really. released them, which is never a good sign. Yeah. I paid $30 to see it, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, why? but I, 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 here's why. So when the screener, they sent us a screener for the film, and I wasn't able to watch it until Friday morning, the day it came out, because I was, I was reviewing it for my 10 o'clock hour, and I was going to watch it in between my segments because I had like a little break. Um, so I go online to get my online screen. I'm like, yay. And I click on the link Expired. and like, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, we are, we've already been teasing all morning. Kevin's review of Mulan coming Ooh. up at 10 15. I'm like, that's just some TV anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to do a that's, full, that's a tenant uh, ticket. Uh, at yeah. least yeah. I, yeah. I bought six of them to, for tonight. So I spent a lot of money on You're tenants. You're treating so everyone to tenant now. I, I'm treating I, I am trying to bring people to the theater so they can see it. That's right. what I'm trying to do. You would think it's yeah. domestic numbers would be higher just because of you. Kevin alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like for, uh, some reason in the D- for some reason in the DMV, we are dominating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nolan's uh, movies are crushing in Northern Virginia for some reason. We are going to get to a full breakdown of Milan uh, later on in the show. And we'll uh, you'll sort of see where we're going when we get to that point. But first, we're going to get to our interview. So um, Un- uh, Unpregnant is a film that's coming to HBO Max. Uh, We got to sit down with the writer and director, Rachel Lee Goldenberg. Terrific interview uh, for a really sweet film. And so without further ado, our interview on the Real Blend podcast on behalf of Unpregnant. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. um, So this movie has uh, really important lessons about uh, a woman's choice and outdated, out of touch state laws, but it's also a a goofy road comedy. And I really wanted to talk to you about balancing the two to make sure that one didn't overwhelm the other as you were putting it all together. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the tone was sort of the whole thing in this movie, like finding the right balance. And what I was attracted to about it was I love I love things that are sort of hard to define and mix genres and mix tones. And so, you know, the the idea that this film has such an important message that, you know, that that 
she shouldn't have to drive a thousand miles to have access to abortion, but that that journey can become, can, can, you can, uh, you know, derive all this comedy and all this adventure and all of these different um, action moments from that journey is what is why I think it's such a, a brilliant idea for, for a book and then for a film and, you know, and what made me excited to sort of roll my sleeves up and jump in as a director. So I have a um, 16 year old and a 12 year old. And I caught little elements um, of things that just made it very contemporary. Um, them constantly needing the ne- the need to update on social media and just stop and take pictures of things that that resonated with them. Um, what are some aspects or elements as you were going through the story that you knew you needed to include so that it appealed to um, a more contemporary sort of teenage audience? Um, you know, I was really thinking about it from a character perspective. So Veronica's thing and her her journey through the film is about her sort of being okay with who she is and not putting up um fronts and and so you know her I, it's it's not that she um i'm not even criticizing the use of social media so much as that her use of social media is really to try to create this facade of look how perfect everything is and vibes and and blessed and like everything's great and so i you know i, I wanted to that, that was a device to show that she sort of had her head in in presenting this image and that, you know, that the journey is for her to figure out uh, that she can be herself and sort of, you know, come, come back from that back into the real world. Did you ever get feedback from the cast, from the girls in particular, that maybe just said, we wouldn't do this or this doesn't feel right? Um, uh, yes, but none of it's in the movie because then we, we talk about it <laughs> and we sort of figure out, you know, I love working with both, both Haley and Barbie are really smart actors and they come with perspectives. And we have talked a lot about their character and a lot about the, their relationship and their backstory and this whole journey. And so as we go through and rehearse or discuss, they'll say, you know, I wouldn't say that, or why would I say that? Or this is, you know, and, and even me hearing them say it sometimes, um, you know, you'll realize, oh, that's, that's too forward for Haley, for Veronica to say in this moment or, um, Or, you know, a, a Bailey wouldn't be so wouldn't be so vulnerable this early in the movie or, you know, whatever it is. And so uh, that's working with with smart actors and really digging in and letting it sort of evolve and change is, is part of the process. Absolutely. Um, you know, you could do a road trip comedy and there are certain beats that almost all of them hit. And I thought you kind of avoided most of them. Um, were there road trip movie cliches that you specifically sort of circled and said, no, I don't want to be part of this because we want to we want to stand out and do something different? Um, no, I think, you know, because we because I love playing with genres, I, I thought that that was we played into and then played against some, for example, um, you know, just like that, that moment when the girls are, are uh, screaming out of the limo and then Haley's feeling so free and she throws her phone and then they have to stop and get the phone. So, you know, I like those little misdirects like that, where you sort of play into a cliche and then turn it on its head. Um, But, you know, I mean, my inspirations were, I mean, the, the road trip movie that I was most inspired by is Thelma and Louise, which is just, you know, one of my absolute favorite films, yeah. but then, you know, we're drawing from planes, trains, and automobiles, and we're drawing from get out and from Mad Max <laughs> Fury road and like all these different things. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really about just blending those different things and, and making it its own unique product that, that hopefully no one can say, Hey, this is just like X movie, you right, know? Right. Right. And road trip. I hope you had Breck and Meyer show up. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Pick his brain for a little bit. See how he did. Yeah. It. Um, was it always Kelly Clarkson? It's it, when you hit the moment that it really is a song yeah. that drives everything forward. 
Kelly Clarkson is actually, she's in the, it's in the book. Um, oh, okay. Okay. But I, but it's a, it's also just a song. It's, you know, there, it's one of a handful of songs that are like the songs that you can scream at the top of your lungs <laughs> to. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was so, so glad that we were able to use it because it, it would have, it was hard to think of what, what, what we could replace it with, if not that. There was a line, too, that made me laugh, which was, you know, who takes a pregnancy test at school? <laughs> and is that from the book? And is that also maybe kind of inspired by stories that you heard from girls? Uh, you know what is funny? So, no, that wasn't from the book. That was um, I think that was that's something that, that my writing partner and I brought to it. But I um, I was showing the, the movie to a, uh, uh, I believe. 14 year old um, to, to get her notes when on an early cut of the film. And, <laughs> and she texted me a couple of days later and said, Oh my God, we found a pregnancy test in, in my high school, ba- in my, uh, in my bathroom at my school. And I was like, well, there, I guess it's not as far fetched as, uh, as you might think, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it speaks to, you know, for, Veronica's discomfort with having anything like that in her house, you know, mm-hmm. that's why she ends up on this journey. Cause she knows she can't, couldn't be caught dead with that at home. So where do you go? You go to your high school bathroom. It's not, not ideal. Certainly. I also love this. Just little lines that you slipped into that just made me laugh because they were not necessarily out of place, but like when she wakes up in the morning and sees the giant cross hanging over them and the yeah. other girl says like, how did we miss that? It's <laughs> just a great beat. It's a really yeah. good yeah. beat. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you fall asleep <laughs> in the dark, there has to be something funny when you wake up that you didn't expect, you know, right. sort of. It feels natural to have something there. Um, I want to ask you to walk me through the staging of what I thought was one of the most beautiful scenes, which is them on the carnival ride Um, and them shouting out their true confessions and your decision to sort of mount the camera so that it faces them and we're riding with them. Um, Are they actually on a ride? Did you how did you do that? I am the mean director who made them do that (laughs) ride eight times um, (laughs) for all our different coverage and shots. yeah. Um, you know, that, that scene is really important to me. And it was, I mean, it was adventure even to find the right ride, the perfect ride where it's two people sitting next to each other. That's the right, that it's genuinely scary, but not so scary that you can't get any dialogue out. I think the yeah. first take they didn't get any dialogue out. I think the first take, they were just screaming the whole time, but then <laughs> we got some um, but yeah, uh, you know, to me, it's actually sort of, um, a nice metaphor for the movie because it's this serious scene where they're speaking their truths and it's this intimate conversation, but we put it in this wild scenario and made it cinematic and made it big and made this serious conversation become a total adventure. Um, and, and so that's a, it's a scene that's particularly close to my heart. Um, and I, it was so moving. It was really moving. And I just love the way that you guys decided to stage that visually. So I'll get you out of here on this last one, um, because we see a lot of these road trip movies where people have to get to a certain de- destination by a certain time. And they're constantly figuring out miles and how much time they have to get there. How much thought goes into that? Is it legitimately accurate where you're look, actually looking at the map and figuring out where the protagonists are in different places and how long it would take them to get? <laughs> yes, I have. I, I My writing partner and I have some intricate chart we made somewhere of like where they are when and what time and I it does all work at least when we wrote it it did all work so <laughs> it should be it should all line up yeah because we want you know being um it, 
the visuals of having each state feel different was important to me and each location they go to. And so really having that um, journey feel visual and feel specific um, and not just like, oh, I don't know, they're on the road, go. But like really caring about each moment and each step and each setting was, you know, right. was part of the figuring out. Well, it resonated and it uh, it carried it beyond their chemistry, which was really, really great. So I'm excited for people to see it. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Thank you very much to HBO Max for setting up that interview. And I'm going to give my review for Unpregnant a little bit later in the show. But we want to get to talking points right now, starting with the Dune trailer. Okay, so um, full disclosure, we are recording this the day before the Dune trailer releases officially and i've i'm the only one who was able to get a link to see the full trailer before it drops however these guys were both able to see the um the reel that got put before it so we're they're gonna they're gonna react to that i will give a little bit more insight based on the full trailer that we saw and by the time you guys listen to this when we drop it you will have all been able to see uh the trailer for denise new film completely and one of the conversations we were having before the show even started is um whether or not Warner Brothers expects to make a ton of money with Dune, whether Dune is going to make a lot of money. Um, and it the, because me, specifically because we're getting part one of two, very similar to what happened with it. Yes, very much so. But also like they invested a ton of money in Blade Runner 2049 and it's more yeah. big screen epic storytelling science fiction from Denis Villeneuve, who people know from Arrival and, of course, Blade Runner 2049, but a book that has a lot bigger following than probably the Blade Runner franchise. Do you think Is, that... is Arrival his most successful film? Sorry, Jake. No. Uh, Prisoner? I, so, I, I think it cost $100 million domestic. Arrival, Arrival made 203 worldwide, 102 domestic. I think that might be his most successful film. Might be. Prisoner's... Oh, actually, no... Technically speaking, Blade Runner twenty forty nine would be because it made two fifty. I guess technically speaking, I guess you, I guess if you look at the budget compared to what it made, I don't know. When when it comes to to the whole part one and part two thing, do you guys think that this film that's coming out hopefully this year is going to end in a cliffhanger and sort of a like oh my god part two, or do you think they're going to play it safe? Because remember with it, like if it had just been on its own. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. Like they, they, they implied, like okay, we have, have to better. come back if we're adults. I like part two, <laughs> um, but uh, it, like it could have just been on its own. And pe- in fact, whenever uh, well, I don't know if you remember with, when it ended, the title card actually says it chapter one. And I remember people yes. in my theater was like, wait, like, like what, what do you mean? What do you mean chapter one? What does that mean? And I was like, oh, they actually they come back, and it's not as good. Um, but uh, so I'm curious as to. If Dune is going to end with like a Dune chapter, if it's going to imply that there's more to it or if it's going to be sort of its own self-contained movie. So here's my OK. So to Jake's question, I then I then have questions as well, kind of feeding off what Jake is saying. So. All right. So. So to clarify, the, the movie that Denis made, the, the two part film we're going to see is based on just the first book. Correct. Yeah. yeah. OK. Well, there's you, only one. Who book. He, are there other books? There's a bunch of other books. books. Oh, fact, his, his, his son took over it at one point. Right. Huh, no so I guess my, my question is this. Um, who on here has read the book? Gabe and Jake? Did Jake finish it? Okay. I, Jake yeah. finished it. Uh, okay. Where in the first book do you think would be a good breaking point? Like, if you like, do you remember at all, like, a, a point in which the story could have like I, I'm hoping to to, to, I'm to Jake's Gabe. point. But wait, this is spoilery because I asked Gabe yeah. this specifically, and he thinks he knows, but it's okay. it's a spoiler to kind of reveal it. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I wouldn't want to go that far because I think there are going to be a lot of people that have not read the book that are going to enjoy this. Okay, Gabe, I texted yeah. you. A, yeah, a, a so spot I, I think wondering. that there is a natural point in the story That's where where the first movie can and probably should end. Do you think it could be there, Gabe? 
I think so. I, I haven't read. I'm, I'm about to start rereading it tonight, actually. So I haven't read it in like a decade. But I think what you said is yeah. is right. I think that'll be like the, the big third act yeah. moment. If anything, it. they I I think they would move that even if it's not in the middle of the book. I think they would move that forward to have it be a I thing that happens. Right. Yeah. This, this is yeah, a fun yeah. conversation this for is two really people. On, perhaps. <laughs> I, I kind of get it. I I actually kind of like it too. And I, I I think I guess my question is going off of what Jake would just asked was will there be like some kind of like cliffhanger aspect to yeah. what you guys were just talking about because, that? But, but remember, I, it, I hope he doesn't yeah, do that. It, one kind of had to play it safe because he hadn't filmed chapter two yet. If he's already fi- if, if Denis already filmed all of Dune. Then it doesn't really ma- like he can yeah. have a massive cliffhanger because like they well, gotta could, come back for part two. Technically, he could he could continue to move the ending until it gets released. Yeah. Technically, if it's all shot, I mean. So, so, but okay, but let's talk about the trailer in particular or what he's leading off with here. And the one thing that really blows me away is just the cast. I mean, the yeah. cast is unbelievably stacked. Um, when you just rattle off Timothy Chalamet, obviously as Paul, who's the lead character. Um, I thought it was interesting. Zendaya has been saying in interviews like she's not really in this movie a lot. Like they lead with her in the trailer and I guess she might be significant to later parts of the story. But she's like a vision that he, that Paul keeps seeing. But I don't think that she's going to be in it as much as people are letting that you know, because it's a training bit. Like it's Paul coming up through the ranks and learning to become a leader for his family. And he, his mentor is Josh Brolin. Um, he's eventually going to, I think, I'm, this, this the way I'm kind of just of pulling this he's going to end up someplace where he runs into Momoa and Javier Bardem and all these other characters is that right Gabe somewhat that sounds right yeah yeah, sounds yeah. Right? there's a big Gabe. The, there's a big shift that I, I think the book makes sense for two parts one it's incredibly dense yeah um in like a very like Tolkien sense you have to um, use the glossary you legit have yeah, to use the yeah. glossary but there's so much that happens within the book it's not like a beginning middle and end there are so many shifts that I think it makes sense for a major okay. shift to happen and then this a is second movie. A question that I asked when I wrote up the story about the trailer though. Denis is not a filmmaker who waits for the audience to catch up with him. Um so I really kind of wonder Like Nolan. Yeah, like how much is it going to be beneficial for people to read the book before they go? Because I don't think Denis is going to be the type of person person who holds your hand. If you're saying it's the type of book that you need to use the glossary to keep up, yeah. like, am I, I, I going to be totally lost? Whenever I cracked it open and started reading chapter one, it feels like you opened it in the middle and just started reading. Because yeah. it, hmm. it very casually uses terminology that right. there's no way you would know what it means. But uh, I think that that won't be an issue of, one, I think that Denis, I mean, you know, I think Denis is just an incredible visual storyteller. I think sure. he knows, I think I think it'll be important to him that the audience be able to enjoy it. Yeah. But so much of the glossary thing that you're doing is because there's not a visual element. There are things where like, like you see in the trailer, like there's like a woman who's like, you know, teaching him or, or, or something like that. But you can see the way that she's dressed and the way that other people are dressed, that she's a part of some sort of... Yeah you know, organization, mm. like a nun or something like that. You know, like Gabe, there, give there, me- there's enough visual context clues that I think he can build all the stuff that you would maybe reach for the glossary to be like, okay, what does this random word mean? I think he can kind of fill in the blanks for you visually. Gabe, give me your, the, the story pitch on Dune. If ooh, you were to ooh, explain can it, I, can I do it too? Jake, go ahead. Like if you were to, I was, I, 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 the, honestly, I'll be honest with you. I have not seen Lynch's movie uh-huh. and I do not know a ton about the Dune story. So for me, I'm planning on seeing the film without reading the book. So if you were to pitch that to an audience, how how would you explain it? I would say that this book was a major influence on George Lucas and the first Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So think of Paul Atreides as Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And he kind of like 
has to go to Dagobah to train, and he has to like he has to sort of yeah. learn what it means like to be a Jedi, which yeah. is the Dune like the Dune you know or the Dune version of like like you I, I my what's gonna drive me nuts is if audiences see this and they don't know enough background on it and they're like oh and they, they just ripped off Star Wars, Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so that's, I would I would say pretty much exactly that and I think what I usually tell people is that what Tolkien is to like fantasy Frank Herbert and Dune is to sci-fi fantasy. Like that's, I think it's on that level of invention and sort of uh, uh, world building. It's very big, but exciting. Like, in that sandworms. Yeah. Go, going back to the question about about um, how dense it is and how confusing the uh, the film might be, and kind of what Sean was saying. You know, when you're a filmmaker like a Chris Nolan, for example, with Tenet, you you obviously have final cut. It's almost like you make the movie you want to make and you just put it out there because your because your name your name is you know that big of a deal. Is Denis at that level? And I, I, the reason no. I ask that is, do you think Denis had to take notes in regards to from the studio saying, I need you to, to make this a little easier to comprehend. I need you to, you know, cause I feel like Nolan probably wouldn't take those notes. I'm assuming that he's just, you know, it's his work. I, don't, and like, I don't you know. think Denis has the kind of power over Warner Brothers that Nolan has. Um, well, in the sense, cause I mean, I would, I would sort of use the, the junket comparison. Like if we are, if we're at the junket, and we're at the tenant junket and we don't get Nolan. We're like, oh, my God, like that's the that's name. A good point. If we're at the Dune junket and we don't get Denis, like, OK, sure. But there are a lot of other people that we could be getting that are, you know, that are equally big names. Um, here's the thing, though. I don't think you adapt Dune unless you're going to do do don't, like yeah. do it right or don't do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 tenant is the type of film where. If it doesn't make sense to the audience, Nolan made the movie he wanted to make. And like as we're seeing from reactions, people are having trouble understanding some of it and going back and revisiting it. I'm just wondering if Dune's going to be that loose, like if if they're going to let Dune be what it really is, or is it going to be a little bit more geared towards a better understanding? Well, all right. Well, let me ask a different question, too, because until we figure out the plot, how does it look on the big screen? Because I haven't seen the only thing I've seen is on my laptop. Oh my god! I mean, I've seen the trailer three times on the IMAX screen. It is unbelievable. Really? Okay. It, it, I mean, it is so large. It's so funny because the first thing I think about when the trailer pops up is seven. Because mm. doesn't he say what's in the box? And he has that like sharp thing up mm-hmm. against his uh, uh, yeah, his yeah. temple. Yeah. And he essentially said like you know, and it's like this. I thought it was actually a really interesting teaser. It wasn't your standard like fifteen second, thirty yeah. second teaser. And that's going like, to that's gonna be a very early scene. That's like going to be within the first fifteen minutes. That mm. that boxing is that scene from the book. Oh mm. yeah, that's like that's okay. like that's like first. What would you say, Gabe? Like ten pages of the book. Yeah, that's the that's the, that's how it opens. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let me continue asking stupid questions. What are the breathable things from the nose? What are those meant to be um, in the story? Uh, it's uh, I wouldn't harp is that on a spoiler. It. Well, I'll give you this. I don't think this is a spoiler. It's a Dune is called Dune because Arrakis is the planet that his family is going to to sort of take control over um, as a part of this galactic empire, uh, and it's a desert planet. And so those are devices to help you survive on a desert planet. I'll go that far. There's more to it. There's more nuance. There's a whole to, spice thing. Yeah. Spice is this big export from that right. planet. It, it goes on and on and on. But it's, um, it, but that's pretty much all it is. I, I wouldn't look into it too much. There are some is things. Is it similar that, to why you would need the mask and inversion in Tenet? Like you, you need not it for the similar world to Not in like a mechanic. Not in like a plot mechanic way. That's just like a. Um, Visual choice. It's important to. The people of Arrakis to survive on a desert planet. Essentially, you ruined it, Gabe. God, 
Forget in the end, now. everyone I'm, dies. Not even. I'm going. just playing the person who doesn't know a ton about Dune. That's that, I, I'm just no, no, not, no, 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 no. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, so. for whatever reason, Michelle's go-to anytime she misunderstands what's happening in a movie, she, she th- thinks characters are dead. I only bring that up because we were watching the Charlie Kaufman movie, which is awful, by the way. And the whole like every with 30 minutes to go in the movie, she just keeps saying like. Oh, everyone's dead in this movie. Oh, they're all dead. Oh, this person's been. I don't know but did you, by any thing. chance, did you? Now I know we're we're making a tangent, which Gabe asked us not to do. Did you read what the explanation for the book is? No. Should I? Here's what I'll say. I did because I'm with you, and that I did not understand. I don't know if you guys remember. Whenever I was watching it a couple yeah. of weeks yeah. ago, I was like super guys. Like I'm real. Oh my god, I'm into this. And then by the end, I, I think I specifically texted you guys. I've never gone so quickly from this movie is on my top 10 list to fuck this movie within such a short amount it's, of time. It really. Now, you stops. I don't think you, I don't think you ever liked it as much as I now. I'm, oh, I'm no, 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 no. You, you hate it much more than I do by the end. But I don't yeah. think you were ever as high on it as I was. I, I kept a very open mind for 30, 45 minutes of yeah. just because it is really weird. And I yeah. was just like, OK, I'm going to let this movie take. It's Charlie Kaufman, obviously. Yeah. I'm going to let this movie take me pretty far. And and I watched it like for people who watching the YouTube, I was like this most of the time. Like just trying to figure out like yeah. what is Especially going in the house. On. Yeah. And then at one point I just said, like, I'm going to stop trying to figure this movie out. I'm just going to I'm just going to ride the wave, whatever it's on. At what point did you think of ending the film? uh, Like with 20 minutes to go is when it finally jumped off the rails and I couldn't I just couldn't be like, no more. Yeah, I I heard you, Kevin. I got you. I was just looking at the game. (laughs) All right. Anyway, we were not talking about that. We were talking about Dune. Um, The trailer is up. You guys can watch it now. Uh, In addition to that. Yes. What? How's the trailer? Tell us how it is. You've (laughs) seen it. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I mean, it looks phenomenal. Um, I don't see. I don't know what you guys saw as part of the teaser, um, but most of the same thing. It still just looks like there's a there's a part of it that that's heavy on character introduction. Right. Like it's here's Timothy Chalamet. Here's Rebecca Ferguson. Here's Oscar. Isaac. Well, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of that. in the te- it was it, the teaser is sort of like his hand in the box with the with the, with the needle to yeah. him. Um, and then it sort of felt like it was quick cuts of like, here's all the people we have in Montage. this movie. But did you get the great um, Pink Floyd song? The, the no. haunting version no. of Pink Floyd? Um, no. It's uh, Dark Side of the Moon. They have a, a new, I don't know whose no. cover it is, but they use a version of Dark Side of the Moon in the trailer and it's phenomenal. It just fits the visuals. So it's great. It's like the first half is like character montage introduction. And then it hits a moment where it's like, boom, here's just all of the big screen Denis stuff that's coming in. It's like ships and deserts and Momoa with a knife and all this amazing stuff. And then it ends with the sandworm. Did you see the sandworm? Did they show the sandworm? The sandworm's not it. Okay, so the trailer ends on a on a massive sandworm, oh. but with a um, perspective shot of two characters. And one of them's Timothy. And I think the other one might be Momoa. I'm not sure. Uh, and, and in the frame, the way that they are with this sandworm, it's massive and it's amazing. It's great. It's great. And it looks, it looks incredible. And I can't wait for you guys to see it. It's going to be really, really phenomenal. So anyway, Dune. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Uh, the other trailer that dropped is for Rebecca, which is a adaptation of a classic novel but the main reason that most of us know it is because hitchcock uh adapted it years and years and years and years and years ago uh very early in his career but this new version is from ben wheatley it's coming to netflix and it stars three people who i think are perfectly cast in it uh lily james army hammer and Kristen scott thomas what did you guys think of the trailer for rebecca i i okay here's the deal if if uh, the, the the purpose of a trailer is to make you want to see the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I watched this trailer. Sure, yeah. And what it did was make me want to go back and watch the 1940 Rebecca. No kidding, like, really? It, it just, like, why? Because like, it, it didn't really feel like they made any effort to give a different angle other than, like, it's shot with newer technology with different actors and it's in color. Like... I mean, if they maybe if they'd set it in in 2020, maybe they'd mm -hmm. try to do like a different kind of twist on it. But like, why? You know, it's and it almost like boils back down to the, the whole like Disney live. Like, why? Why would I watch that when the other Rebecca exists? Oh, because I just think Lily James and Army Hammer look really great in those parts. There are certain actors who you can dress them in period garb, and it fits them better. Almost, I think Lily James. Um, looks out of place in contemporary films. The only time that I think she really fit, how many has she actually done now that I think Baby about Driver? it? Baby Driver? Is Baby Driver. And I thought she fit in that mold, but she just seems destined to be in things like Downton Abbey uh, or this version of Rebecca or Cinderella, which she's in. Okay, um, sure. I think she's great in that, so. But like... Do you really, do we need this? I know this is such a cliched argument when it comes I to know, remakes, but like, do, yeah. we need, do we need this movie? Um, I, I'm truthfully looking forward to it. I thought, I, I thought it looked really beautiful. Honestly, like I, my, my first thought was, Ooh, I'm going to go back and rewatch the, the Hitchcock one before this one comes out. Yeah. And, and I'm excited about that idea. I'm excited about having an excuse to go back and watch the old Rebecca and not so much excited about the prospect of like, I'm going to have to watch the new Rebecca too. Well, and Kev reminded us, so it's on Criterion. They have a Criterion version? Yeah, I, I just ordered the Criterion for Hitchcock's film, um, 1940, which I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it. So. 80 it was, years. I want to say it was a Best Picture nominee, or did he get a, a, be, a Best he, Director? 
I know I he never he won, won. His only Oscar. I know he never won, but I want to say Rebecca was a Best Picture winner. Gabe, Gabe's going to produce and look that up. All right, I think we'll Rebecca get to won something. Yeah. So let's get to uh, that when it comes back around. So this, so it's starting to feel like, and part of the reason why I talked about missing Toronto. Yes, Gabe. Sorry, it won Best Picture and it won Best Cinematography. Hey. So, but did, did Hitchcock get an Oscar for producing? Um, it might I be his only was, Oscar. I think it was Old Selznick was the. Mm. Sole producer is all I'm seeing noted here. I only see uh, David O. Selznick. I was pretty early in Hitchcock's career. He uh, might not have been producing it yet. These days, that's why so many directors try to get producing credits. So that's they, um, Because I, whenever, and and this was a a screw up on my part, whenever I was interviewing Oliver Stone and he showed me his Oscar, he said, this is for Platoon. And I said, was that director or picture? And he said, no, I didn't get the one for picture. He goes, I probably should have because I was like a big part in that movie being made. So right. I should have been producer on it. He goes, now I wish I had been, but oh, he, so he only got the director. I'm mean, not only got the director one, but he won for best director, but didn't get to take home one when it won best picture. Wow. You guys want to talk about how the producer role has changed in 80 years, at least on IMDb. The only producer that I see listed is David O. Selznick. Oh, and nowadays, prolific producer yeah. but this is the only producer listed <laughs> nowadays movies wow. have like 12 producers yeah. well now <laughs> don't, now they have to like when it comes down to deciding who gets the oscar for best picture they really like they, don't they have a committee that kind of determines okay how much did you actually have an impact okay. on this movie and they sort of kind of they'll scratch off they'll be like okay like you now you don't get it you don't get it you don't get it okay you had it like you would get it you would get an oscar you that way they don't have like 30 people up there grabbing oscars when a movie wins best picture isn't it also strange that executive producer is a lower is a lower person on the on the producing scale than just producer is it really? i always thought executive but I, yeah but, I, but I, I always, always thought executive like executive producer usually to me implies usually it's a pretty big celebrity name. name but yeah. usually to me i always take executive producer as like a big name that like gave them some money but didn't really mm-hmm. have anything yeah. to do with it create like a lot of times like you'll see like brad pitt especially with all of his plan b stuff you'll see brad yeah, yeah. pitt as executive producer he probably wasn't really wasn't on set or didn't do much, but he <laughs> yeah, probably yeah, helped yeah. fund it. So he right. gets the executive producer status. I think the way it's, it, it's, it's a big gray area, but I think the way it's usually defined is like an executive producer helps a film get made a producer, depending on the type of producer, because there's different roles there are actually doing, spending the day to day, getting it made, right. making it doing all They're that. more important than the executive yeah. producer. Uh, but but you sense. would think that you would think executive producer would meet would be more important just because of the name of it. And it's not right. When, when yeah. I was um, and th- this is a genuine story that relates. It's not meant to be any kind of a humble brag or anything. But whenever I was uh, <laughs> 18 uh, and I was doing some work with a local PBS station in Houston, uh, I helped produce a documentary called uh, The Last 24. And it was about the, the last 24 hours before a big theatrical production opened in Houston. And. When uh, we were gearing up for like the Emmys to like put it up for the Emmys for for consideration and stuff, we genuinely had to have a sit down discussion for each person that was listed as a producer. Okay, how how much did you do? Like, what did you like? How did so that way? Whenever the nominations came out for best documentary, if we were nominated, we had to know who was going to like actually get a trophy. Huh, and we like there was like a, like seriously like na- like names were broken down in terms of like that guy didn't really like. Like yeah, he kind of helped us get it us get it on the air. We didn't really do much, and we kind of had to break down each each role to determine. Did you make the cut? I did make the cut. Good for you. So, did you so get I nominated. Got, I did get nominated, but then I lost. Oh, uh, that was one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in my life because we were nominated for best documentary and then a couple of other technical stuff. 
And throughout the night, we kept winning, like best cinematography, best direction, best writing. And so different people at our table were getting up and like going and like getting there and to the point where I was like, shit, like we're like, I'm 18 years old. I'm about to win my first Emmy. Like it's, you know, I was like planning like, okay, I need to walk around that table and I need to oh, move no, past no, them. I got to no, scooch past this that, guy. No. And oh, I, I was like, I had, I had it determined like how I was going to get to the stage. Uh, even though I wasn't even going to be the guy to speak, like we had already determined, there was like the, the main the main guy was going to speak. Um, and then I'll never forget, like we got beaten by a documentary about a chicken. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was like, and the Emmy goes too. And I was like getting like about to stand up, and I was like, "Clucky the chicken," and I was like. But honest to God, that was pro- one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in my entire career. Don't you know, Jake? You have to give the uh, the approving. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did not. I yeah. didn't. I did not get. Of course, the, it was clunky. Uh, yeah. I think my uh, like you know if they had like the still frame like as they were pulling or pulling away, it would have been me going like. They should give Oscars to the people who have to not they, win because that's yeah, the, like the, perform- the, the, the oh, performance well that yeah. they give when well they done. don't get their name called oh, is yeah. genuinely brilliant performing. Dude, like, I've like, gone down amazing. so many wormholes of watching Oscar reveals just to pay attention to the people who don't win but it's amazing oh it's great yeah but by then they almost know yeah but these days yeah they're so because it's it's the last award given out after like 30 awards so like you know who didn't know glenn close Oh, he really that one. Know. Oh, have you yeah. guys ever seen that shot? Look at how of, close it was. Oh. <laughs> have you guys ever seen that shot of when uh, Eddie Redmayne <laughs> beat Michael Keaton for Best Actor, and the cameras following Eddie Redmayne up onto the stage? You can see Michael Keaton put, putting yes. his speech back in his pocket for Birdman, right? For Birdman, for yeah. Birdman. I kind of as, as great as Eddie Redmayne was, in, as as uh, you know, in, in that role theory of everything. I I wish we lived in a world where Michael Keaton had an Oscar. He should be better. <laughs> he should have won for multiplicity. And that's why we don't get Keaton for The Flash. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Tenet box office. Um, and here I'm going to remind everybody that we are not, uh, or we have said that we're not going to make... Uh, we might, but we've said we're not going we're, to. We're committing to the bit of not giving away stuff about Tenet because we know that a lot of people are still listening to the show and haven't yet had a chance to see it especially as it's struggling to find places to play in uh, large spaces like New York and Los Angeles, where we have a lot of real blend listeners. Um, But we want to talk specifically about how it's doing at the box office and what the indications are for that specifically. Uh, The movie did 20 million domestically uh, in its first weekend. Gabe, you have 126 international, but it's not that, right? It's That's more international that. markets, worldwide 146. Oh, so worldwide 146. Yes. I, okay. I left a little bit of math for you to do, Sean. And the combination that we think we've heard is that, what did we say, 450? I, I read to get to? multiple places that 450 is the break-even number. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money for a movie to make. Um, not Normally, in, in, in real world, in, in a real world scenario where things weren't, you know, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, 450 sure. shouldn't be that tough for a, a Christopher Nolan summer no. No, 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 not I mean, even Dunkirk, which I would say is one of the harder sells of his career, got to that point or past that point, right, Kevin? Dun- Dunkirk made over five hundred million. Yeah, Let me so, so I don't, I don't think Tenet would have had an issue. And Kevin's good for five hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Individually, so Dunkirk made five twenty six on a hundred yeah, million so, dollar budget. So Tenet shouldn't have had an issue. I um so it's it's impossible not to judge these numbers against these the the idea of how theaters are opening yeah. and people who are trying to compare it to past openings of yeah. other films it just seems 
that's ridiculous. Okay. Like all of those normal measures feel out the yeah. window at this point for me. So when I saw 20 million, my initial reaction actually was, damn, that's really good because mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that all theaters yeah. are at reduced capacity. Not even the, the majority of theaters are, or uh, I guess the majority of theaters in the country are open. Right? Sean, here, here is the, the major thing that we have to remind people of. It's the theaters are not open in New York or Los Angeles two yes. of the largest movie markets in the entire country and San Francisco and every theater that's open is between 25 to 40 percent capacity. Yes. And I think like 65 to 70 percent of the theaters in the country are open. Those are all you need to know to realize that the numbers that we're seeing for tenant cannot be judged against yeah. anything. In that case, 20 is pretty good yeah, to so. give to give that some some perspective. The widest release uh, right now domestically for tenant is twenty eight hundred theaters, twenty eight hundred limited capacity theaters. The widest release domestically for Dunkirk was 4,000 theaters, fully yeah, yeah. fully packed. Oh, my God. So I, I, I am much more interested in Tenet's week two numbers than I am week one. Okay. Now, if, you know, if it plummets from 20 million to 5 million, that's when I start thinking, okay, maybe people aren't just, just aren't ready to go back to the theaters yet. But if it goes from 20 million... To 15 million. Yeah. Okay. Like, because I, because it may also, and, and also you have to keep in mind, it, it's not just how many theaters it's playing in or the capacity in which the theaters are allowing people to come in. It's also the, an X factor of like, are people ready to go back to the, not, has nothing to do with the quality of tenant or if people want to see tenant. It's whether or not people want to go to the movies, period. Right. Um, right. And I think that's and, a, that's yeah. an uh, immeasurable factor. So, Kev, as someone who's gone back multiple times, what has the experience been in terms of other people who are there? What does the theater look like when you yeah. go? It's a good question. So, I, I've, I've found it to be a very, uh, personally, a very safe experience. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that being said, my mom and dad wouldn't go to a theater right now, even if you paid them to. Like, there are people who just don't want to go to a movie theater. And they um, are theater this, people. They go. My, they go once a week. Yeah. They went once a week before the pandemic. Uh, and they will not go. They won't even come see me now that I've been to a movie theater, basically. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> they now, just don't want to see you. <laughs> they just don't want to see me. Yeah. Um, I don't blame them. And people yeah. are coming. You're surrounded by yeah. people? A good I, amount of people? N- yeah, I mean, it was like for me, it was me and my wife and and her friend Lauren, and then there were like people scattered throughout the theater in their different sections. Um, everyone had a mask on. I did not have an issue. The only difference uh, I will point out uh, to the experience we talked about last week versus the experience this week. Last week I went to an early access showing on a Monday. This yeah. is a, that was a different. This was a Saturday opening weekend normal public showing yeah. of the film. That was the, the and, true example of probably what people yeah. experienced. And I actually saw this was actually kind of cool. So not only that I got, I, got, I got my concessions and all that kind of stuff, but I did. I used the sanitizer wipes. I wiped down my seats. When the movie ended, I walked out. There were four AMC employees standing there with these gigantic yellow sanitizing machines. Oh, that's cool. Wow. And they were all ready to go, go in. And they actually make more time in between the shows now so they can clean the entire theater. I'm not kidding when I say this. I would feel comfortable eating off the armrest of my seat. I would never that's go how, that like, far. That's how clean it was, man. Wow. I'm telling you, I've never seen... I've I've walked through theaters with sticky stuff on my feet, oh, yeah. armrests having all that gunk and nasty stuff in it. Um, I, for me, it was like I, I felt like I had a private theater. You know, what like unfortunately, all those machines were inverted, so whenever they went in, all the sanitation <laughs> just came off the <laughs> seats and up. went back into the big I'm yellow torn machines. Between theaters that have cloth seats now versus the ones that are more like that vinyl material, or the, this was like, like a leather, like they're leather recliners, and like, and for me, again, it was uh, it, the. It was cool because it was noon on a Saturday. 
and people were just rolling in. It was like the old days. Yeah, like people yeah. were just walking in. Everyone looked excited. Everyone had masks on. Uh, it didn't feel that weird, to so, be honest with you. My, uh, but again, personal threshold, whatever I, you're comfortable with. I agree 100% with Jake that the second week number is going to be really interesting to see. Um, I don't expect it to... I would love for it if it stayed consistent. I don't mm-hmm. see it necessarily going up. No, it's not going to um, go up. I hope it doesn't come down a whole heck of a lot. Um, what I hope that it does is send an indication to the other blockbusters that are behind it, that it's okay to try it. Like, is Wonder Woman 1984 comfortable now? You know, are, are they going to use, weeks? are they going to use 20 as that, that mark? Like, okay, we will be comfortable with a 20 million opening if we're able to go worldwide. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting because. Is you know, there any chance that we get Tenet on PVOD within the coming weeks? No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Where, where they try out the like, hey, we'll put it in theaters for a month and then any other movie. Yes, <laughs> that movie. No, okay. I don't what? think Nolan would let that. If Unhinged isn't on PVOD, Tenet's not. Yeah, coming but the difference to is that people want to see Tenet. That's, huh? that's a good point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for <laughs> but, all the. Uh, oh, my God. Russell Crowe is going to be so mad at you. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I do think Wonder Woman's going to have a bigger opening. It's a bigger film. Wonder Woman is a bigger film than Tenet. It is. I mean, Wonder Woman sure. already. And Wonder, Wonder, it's a superhero film. It, it, it ha, it's it's name recognition. Tenet is an original film, original sure. story. Arguably, and a superhero I, I, movie should do better. A sequel should do better. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I think Wonder Woman's going to have a bigger box office open. I, I don't think that's even sure. a question of comparison because like Tenet, for example, I, I'm sorry, Duncan. Kirk, I think it was like a $55 million opening. I could be wrong. It's somewhere around the $50 million opening. And that was pre-pandemic and 4,000 screens. Then you had Tenet do $20 million on 2,800 screens with no New York, no LA, no San Francisco, and okay. 30 to 40% capacity. Here's the thing, though. Nolan would earn waves of goodwill if he released it on paid VOD. If he just yep. relented and, and let more people see it. Uh, How long afterwards? <sighs> I say a month. Yeah, I think a month is fair. I think a month okay. is fair. It's not he's I, got he got his theatrical run. Yeah. Um, but there's people who physically are not able to go see it. You know, like yes. it's just there's no theater open near yeah. them. And if he believes in I know he believes in the theatrical experience, I think that's amazing. But if he also just believes in the movie as itself, he should want more people to be able to see it. And yeah. so I think a month is fair. I think a month is fair. Uh, I actually and, and this is going to sound crazy as somebody who's um, uh, we're all theater advocates. I mean, I've seen the I'm seeing the film multiple times. I think after a month, I would think uh, that's fair. Kev, then you wouldn't have Especially to go to the theaters. Now. You could just well, no, I'd still go to the theaters. I would still go. I do want to sort of throw something out there. I'm curious to to Sean specifically if you if you agree with this. Hmm. For people who are keeping up with the box office reporting and and sort of the tracking and be very weary of who's writing it and and, and the, the, the potential slant that it's taken. And what I mean by yes. that is... I know exactly there are who you're talking about. a lot of yeah. press out there that are, quite honestly, annoyed or, or perhaps even borderline angry at mm. Nolan and or Warner Brothers because either they haven't had a chance to see the film mm. or potentially maybe they did not get Christopher Nolan for an interview. Um, and that has Unlike the potential us. to, I'm not saying that, but, uh, but I'm just saying that I have read some very interesting perceptions of how they're skewing these box office numbers. Yeah. Um, and I can't help but feel like, do you just have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder because you haven't seen the movie yet? Like, are, are you rooting for it to fail unfairly because it has not benefited you personally? And I, so I would just say, like I would just say, be careful 
reading any any box office numbers that come to any kind of drastic conclusions without taking into account unprecedented worldwide events unlike anything Hollywood's ever dealt with. It has been highly unusual to see um, noted film journalists take the stance of movies and movie theaters and movie studios should fail. Like, I don't understand that perspective. I, I you know, I, I, I understand the idea of I am making a conscious choice sure. to not go to the, like that is that is your right. And uh, that is a right I respect. And I sure. understand. what I don't agree with is and I've seen this and I know you guys, I assume you guys have seen it, too. It does seem like there are people who are actively rooting for tenants to be a disaster to almost oh, yeah. justify their choice like like it almost feels like especially a lot of the people that are in new york or LA, like i couldn't be a part of this therefore i hope this movie fails i want to ask a hy- hypothetical if this was not tenant but it was once upon a time in hollywood do you think people would be taking the same stance or would they be championing quentin um fighting to get his movie into theaters. It, it does almost no, I, I, feel like no, like people have their, like, like the knives out for Nolan. Like, I feel like, like there's something of like, as much as we love Nolan. And that we, was we, Ryan Johnson's movie. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, eat shit. Um, but it, it just, it sort of feels like people kind of were that's what I'm saying. coming for Nolan. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That if Quentin was the one pushing this, I think there's a lot more people in the film Twitter atmosphere that would be backing Quentin. Yeah. He has in a, a more way good that they will. are not, backing but nolan what did right nolan now. do he's just made a string of amazing films and, and quentin hasn't <laughs> i don't also, know i don't know can we be clear here that nolan is not forcing anyone to go to a movie theater no there's no forcing happening nor, here. Nor it's is just he... a choice exactly yes and it's so a choice it's, yeah i would love to hear his take on the box office i really would i'd love to know what his opinions are whether he's happy with this sad with this but he'll never comment because it doesn't no. benefit him in either way shape yeah. or form um let's jump to a movie that did go to paid vod paid i'm gonna mention because even though you're a subscriber to disney plus you paid an additional 30 dollars to see mulan i found this to be um unusual in the fact that when i watched it and i i'm gonna uh, lead with the fact that the original animated feature is not um a sacred film to me by any stretch i don't even know what year it came out but whatever year it came out i was not paying attention to Disney animated films at that point anymore. So I, I maybe have seen the first Mulan, the, the animated Mulan once, if, if even that. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed this live action retelling of it. I thought it was, I thought it was epic. I thought it looked great. I loved the, its use of locations. I love the sets that it built. Um, I thought the main actress was fantastic. I really just got on board with the storytelling of it. I actually did a video review for it and where I called it Disney's, take on game of thrones like it yeah and then you guys watched it and weighed in and jake came in hot with how much he hated it uh it's and then so bad. The it's so bad i can't see how we are that, that far is apart bad it's that is not a but that's bad I, movie. why is it bad I, explain it's, to me why it's, it's middle bad. of the road no no it is bad because it one it's moment it feels like it it's wants to bad. be this historical sweeping epic that captures a moment in history and and really and then and then one it moment it that. feels it actually feels like it's a live action recreation of like the sticky like some of like the animation jokes because there's a lot of stuff in the world of animation that plays in animation that just doesn't play in live action 
action. And it felt like they couldn't decide which one they wanted to go to, so they were sort of tiptoeing in both. There were a lot of the sequences that kind of just felt like they were like shot, like they, it just looked cheap to me, honestly. The, I don't, I don't that's, that's get the. I push back. I thought the oh, location geez. shots were oh, really great. Looked, and, 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 and they edited it was so like rapid like it, it just it, it felt like it was like made by a lot of inexperienced people that were capitalizing on our goodwill for oh. for this story um, I thought I didn't think any of the performances were any like notable at all are you talking I, about solo hey hey <laughs> hey what are, what are you referring to here I, I just it, it just it was not good and here's the thing I, I clearly don't have a great history of of uh, loving Good films. These, these live action. Re- oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's go back to our to, to, to some of the comments we get, shall we? Uh, but like, no, like, like I, I, I obviously don't like the Disney live action ones, but I I am on record as having been hopeful for this one because I felt like, oh, they're going to go in a different direction. They're going to almost give us like a completely new film. It's almost going to be like it's it. It was not 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 good. In fact, it was actively bad. It had no idea what kind of movie it wanted to be, and it was made by people that didn't really know how to make a movie. Oh God, Kevin, back me up here a little <laughs> bit, please. I mean, listen. I think the film is. I think the film is incredibly visually gorgeous. I think it was the scale of it's huge. I thought the shots were incredible. I love the use of the camera, the, the sideways shots during the action sequences. I thought were really cool. Uh, I also thought the sets were beautiful. There's this one beautiful. incredible shot in the beginning as we're going around the area where the characters live, God, and we're that just going. Just looks th- cheap to me. It looked like a, it was that real looks, set. No, that looks so that cheap look to me. Cheap. It, it looks cheap. They, they filmed in New Zealand. What, it, like the mountains and the scenery is all sure, legit. Like, yeah, but, but like the, the sets, the sets themselves looks cheap to You're me. Jake watched Larry Crown again, didn't you? Yeah. You watched Larry Crown again. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll watch Larry Crown again before I watch Mulan. I'll tell you that right now. I mean. All right. On, on a serious note, I thought Mulan, the problem I have with Mulan, I, I don't think it's a great film. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's just. Right in the middle. I think there's some great elements, too. I think the performances were great. My problem with Mulan is this. Uh, and Sean, just like you, I did not have an attachment to the animated film. It was yeah. one, it was actually one of the few of animated Disney films that I just didn't wasn't on my radar. Yeah. Um, as, as I mean, I knew all about it. Lauren knew all about it. So I, re- I watched the original prior to watching this Mulan. And I think the thing about the first Mulan that I love so much is that the journey the character goes on, the adversity she has to go through in order to become the character we see at the end of the story there's an uphill battle to that journey that you root for her actively. You're going uphill against the pressure. In this film, it felt like it was just too easy for her to get from point A to point B in the sense that they didn't... I don't think they gave the character... They didn't, yeah, they didn't give the character enough adversity because the whole point of the story, at least from my perspective, is that we're all equal. Men and women should be able to choose what they want to do with their lives. Mm-hmm. And the idea that a woman has to uh, marry and not become a warrior is a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous notion. And I think the idea of giving her a quote unquote chi, the aspect of her kind of like a superpower almost, almost cheapened her arc as well. I felt like, why can't she just be a woman? And that's the reason why she overcomes this adversity. So um, I felt was like that the, in the animated movie, though? Because I don't know anything about this chi. That was I don't very remember new to me. her no, having a chi. And, and I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine named Lauren, Lauren's friend, Lauren, um, who's a huge Mulan fan. And th- these were actually sentiments that she completely agreed with. She was saying that, like, I don't know why they had to give her a chi in order uh, or this whatever this superpower element was. And almost like her to like, felt like, the, like she was like she was the one. It almost felt like the Matrix. Where like she had kind of like she was Neo, 
And it's like, exactly. you know, she could have just been a person. It, like, these right. movies feel like coloring books. These movies feel like they're, right. they're, they're like, as opposed to the, the original Mulan, which kind of felt like an organic drawing of a story. Yes. This feels like a story that's already there, and they're just coloring in different sequences. Yeah. They're just coloring in the blanks. Like, like you already know what the picture is, so here's, right. this, here's this piece colored, here's this piece colored, here's this, like, it just... And it's, it, a good way to, it's a good way to put it, because that's exactly kind of how it felt. It was almost like, okay, we know she has to have this arc yeah. let's just let's just get yeah. her there here's this like, mark here's and, and, it, yeah. Like, yeah let's, let's go and let's go there was no it, it just for me the uh, i love a journey of adversity i love a journey of a character pushing up against something and yes she does in the film but it just it just didn't it didn't grab me and, and i it, think at the, at the same time visually it's gorgeous i, like the, I thought it was gorgeously scored again performance wise i thought the, I, I actually loved her and her father's relationship that to me was the best part of the movie that her and her father's relationship in the film um because i think that's a great story the idea that this daughter who wasn't allowed to be a warrior could save save the fight and prove her family wrong but also honor her family at the same time it's a great arc it's a great story um but for me I, like jake and i were just saying why couldn't she just be a woman and that's the reason why she overcome this it, it, uh, overcomes the adversity my why litmus she test my litmus test for these things is always always would you watch this either as an alternative to the to the animated no. film or in place of and it's for me, it's no, no. And I, I, I don't think that many people would say yes. Weirdly enough, the one thing that I keep seeing online that people are complaining about is the thing I'm glad they didn't do, because you couldn't really do the Mushu character mm -hmm. in, the, in the live action, the Eddie Murphy character. Though painful. I do love that. But I do love that character in the animated film. Sure. But that goes all that also goes to what Jake was saying about the jokey things you can do. Like kind when, of when at the beginning, when she was like balancing all the teapots and it's just like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what, what there, movie are you making? Pick a lane. It, it, it didn't have a grounded sense. Like, I think I completely understand yeah. where Jake is coming from. I don't think the movie was bad, but I actually yeah. more understand where Jake's coming from than the idea of it being a great film. I think it I think it has great aspects to it. But I just thought it, yeah. well, I thought it was underwhelming. Personally. So not to I, I not to go down a rabbit hole, but like Simu uh, Liu, who's going to play Shang Chi for Marvel, mm -hmm. he commented about Mulan, and it was a thread. And I just went down the thread of responses, and they were all hysterical. Where he was just like, just once, I would love for screenwriters to not write Asian characters who are compelled to, uh, you know, hold up the family honor. And every response underneath was from Asian people who were just like, I fucking love honor. Like, <laughs> it can't get honor. <laughs> and I never thought about the fact that, like, too many movies that they're being given... You know, this just like this is coming from a major studio and your character really wants to live up to the family <laughs> honor. I was like, oh, yeah, that is really an overused trope, isn't it? But I guess if you're is, telling Mulan, there, that's Mulan. Was there ever any criticism about the characters not speaking Chinese? Like the idea that the characters have, like they speak English. I, I I found that like even in a live action world, I think in the animated world it didn't bother me as much. But in the live action world, I'm like looking at these characters and they are and and they're in their homeland. Yeah. And I just I, I it took me out to think they're all speaking yeah. perfect English. I didn't say well, I, I think that, that just, going that strange. I would say that's going a little too far because. It's a Disney movie, and we got to think about that. They're trying to introduce this to a bunch of kids, and like, true, you know. But you know what I, I did learn? I, I, I think that might be a step too far for like a six year old to to enjoy the film. Oh no, <laughs> you know? I'm not saying I'm not saying you would make a major two hundred million dollar movie sure, uh, sure, studio sure. like this with, with, with Chinese language and then subtitle. I yeah. just 
I just think it took me out a little bit. No, like, I, I just found it weird that everybody in the film spoke perfect English. Sure. Like, I, I just found that to be strange. Like, I, I, it just didn't it, I didn't immerse myself in the world as much as uh, I wanted to because I kept thinking I think about the, things like I that. I think the criticism that I've been seeing more often than that is that the executives and the creatives outside of the cast are all white. And that being a big issue of that, they're they're trying to adapt this story and tell this story and something uh, as uh, uh, what's his name um, that you just mentioned pointing out. It's a very stereotypical motivation for an Asian character versus what you might get from an Asian person writing the story who wants to tell a fresh story. So that's been the biggest criticism I've seen. Gabe, think about think about Parasite, for example, Korean Mm -hmm. film. Imagine watching that film. Yeah, but that's my point. That's my Mm -hmm. point, though, is Parasite's not for six year olds. True. I get that. <laughs> like, but, I get but, that but, it's but, off, it might be off, but it is but a big a level, budget, you know. Imagine if when they make a Batman like, movie, they dub it in Spanish in Spain, you know. Like it's, it's, like, if, if they move on with subtitles and was like, read, kids. <laughs> yeah. but, but at that, like, yeah. Almost at that I point, like then it becomes like a Crouching yeah, but, Tiger, Hidden Dragon thing. Like, then it sort of, because yeah. it right. kind of felt like they were going for a Crouching, like the action sequences to me yeah. were watered down Crouching Tiger. To ground this in what I think their target audience was... To point to our weekly poll, while only like 20 something percent of people said, yes, they're going to buy it. The comments under that were emphatic yeses from parents who were saying Mm. a movie for my kids to watch right now after all. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, so, again, to ground that in what the audience is like, you got to think of a six year old kid who needs to be able to. uh, It's an interesting it's a, I mean, Gabe brings up a good point because, like, when I got back when I got back into the office this week, uh, one of my anchors came up to me and she said, "My my husband and I rented Mulan or bought Mulan this weekend with our son, and we absolutely loved it." And, and that's the thing I, I know I know a major Hollywood motion picture is is not going to go that route and kind of use the uh, the actual language and then subtitle it. I, I just feel like in in terms of immersion, when you're trying to immerse yourself in a, in a world in the actual living of the characters, especially a movie that is specifically about that story. It just, that, that yeah. weirdly enough threw me off a little bit. It just threw uh, me off. I'm not even, not even, a uh, uh, making a joke. I wonder if I would imagine that this is going to be dubbed in Chinese for the Chinese market. I wonder if you yeah. could ever get your hand on that and, and watch it and see if that for you, how that, how that changes the feeling. Yeah, of the movie. That's interesting. I'd be interested in seeing, in see, like, I mean, it's funny like, when dubbing. you watch, Think, but think about uh, du- dubbing. I don't like subtitles. I do. But think about Kill Bill, for example, major motion picture. Anytime we're, we're in an Again, environment. It's not for six year olds. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's true. The, that's I'm just saying. But, like, but there is a level of immersion you lose. Yeah. In that particular sure. instance, I think. Yeah. But there's a there's a level of complete understanding that a six year old loses yes. if they have to try to read. I want to see Quentin, I get it. Quentin's Mulan. Is what I would like to see. <laughs> Honestly. It's 10th and final. <laughs> that would <film>. be amazing. <laughs> All animated. <laughs> Or black and there, white. Has there ever been a multi hundred hundred million dollar uh, American released film that had that was in the actual language of the story? Have I mean, we ever I mean, seen I mean, something I mean, like that? Uh, Crouching Tiger doesn't count because it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Tiger a Chiger. film. Ang Lee made that as a Chinese yeah. film. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. The one I was going to bring up, and only because I learned this over the course of us talking about Chadwick Boseman, was him explaining why he fought so hard for T'Challa to have a South African accent and how Marvel wanted him to have a British accent as if mm. to say, and the, so I actually, 
I actually sat through Peter Travers has a show on TV still called like Popcorn Talk or Popcorn with Peter Travers. And it was on Saturday at 2.30. The hot spot of Saturday at 2.30. Is this where Chadwick sings? Uh, I didn't get that far, but I did hear him explain why he had the accents. Um, and it's really Peter Travers with all due respect. And, I, and so Michelle was ripping into him and I kind of did stop her and say like, Hey, look, if he doesn't do this, like we don't ever get a chance to, he's a trailblazer. He absolutely went first, yeah. but he just asked the hackiest questions, like really hacky questions, like things that in a junket you would just never ask. And one of them was about the accent and Chadwick gave an amazing answer about how if he had a British accent, it would have implied that he would have had to leave Wakanda in order to get better education. And the idea yeah. should be that the best of everything is in Wakanda. So he should be staying in Wakanda. And Peter Travers asked a follow-up question, like a very obvious follow-up question, because he just wanted him to use the accent. And then Chad McBoseman went on to give a longer answer about, well, this is the <laughs> dialect that I used. And here's where I listened to a lot of different ones. And I literally said to Michelle, I was like, please don't ask another question because I know you just want him to do the accent. Please don't. And Peter's like, well, what, like if you were to hear him talk right now, what would, ah, and then Ch- Chad was literally like, well, I guess he'd sound like this, but I did the accent. And I was like, I hate, I hate you, Peter. <laughs> Strong you. But, but did my he seem uncomfortable being, doing oh, it? Oh, totally. He really did. He saw through it and was literally uh, just like, you're going to keep asking me until I do it. So here you go. Here's one sentence in the accent. But, Can we please move on? But to your point, how important is that accent? It immersed you in Wakanda. That, it yeah, that's the point. Completely changes the perspective. Sure. Like, like if he had a British or an American accent, yes, it would completely take you out of the film. And but I completely see where Gabe's coming from. I yeah. just think as an immersion story point, it pulls me out. A okay, little bit. that's this, all. This week in movies, um, Sony is going theatrical, semi-theatrical with with a film called The Broken Hearts Gallery. I've heard about this movie, but I don't really know anything about it. Has anyone seen oh. it? I think well, I have. Everybody? Is there Jake? Is are we doing interviews for that this week? The oh, Broken no. Hearts Gallery. <laughs> He's got to go to his phone. <laughs> Isn't Dacre Montgomery in that? I, I, Jake, my giant calendar. You, oh yeah, he don't have it. Oh, but oh yeah. Uh, I think Dacre Montgomery's in that. He's the he's the actor from Stranger Things. He was the villain in Str- in Stranger Things season three. Well, I'm gonna he's guess you guys amazing. haven't seen it though. I haven't seen it. No. Okay. Um, well, I did see Unpregnant. Neither of you guys have seen Unpregnant yet. HBO no, Max movie? I have not. September 10th. Um, really sweet movie. Uh, sweet movie. But but here's the thing, too. Um, so Haley Lou Richardson plays a high schooler who becomes pregnant. And it starts off right off the bat. She's taking a pregnancy test at her high school. Um, she learns that she's pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. And this movie really just um, is open and candid and, and, and works in some very uh, bold, I thought, stances on how ridiculous a lot of the laws are that prevent a girl from getting an abortion if she chooses to. She happens to live in Missouri. She has to drive all the way to Albuquerque, New Mexico, in order to get, because she's underage, she's 17, the character. And the only place that she can go is Albuquerque that would allow her to get one without a parent present. Um, and the the point of the movie ends up becoming, it's a road trip movie. She goes with a girl who, um, an estranged best friend, who she grew up with, but the two of them grew apart in high school. And this is the only girl who she kind of trusts to take her on this trip. And the girl also has a car. And the point of the movie ends up becoming, after all of the sort of goofy road trip cliches, the girl, the Haley Richardson's character ends up saying like, isn't it ridiculous that I have to drive hundreds of miles in order to, to get uh, an operation that I'm choosing to get? And I, I, I thought it was really 
refreshing and courageous to see a, a, a comedy take on this stance and it like, just fit all of that stuff fit. So I, I love the message. I think the two leads had fantastic chemistry. Um, it, it falls a little bit too much into, you know, when you're in on a road trip comedy uh, movie like that, there's a bunch of plot contrivances that you watch and you're just like, okay, these, this would never happen. Like at one point they're talking about, um, Oh wait, I don't want to give that away. That's too much of a twist. Anyway, there's a bunch of things that happen that end up like leading to a few cameos where you're just like, all right, this would be, this wouldn't happen at this point now, but you ride it out because the two of them are really, really good together. Uh, it ends up being really, really sweet. And I loved the progressive messages of, uh, just saying, Hey, look, this is my choice. And it's ridiculous how laws are written in today's day and age, uh, that prevent me from being able to do those things. So unpregnant, check it out on HBO max. It starts dropping on September 10th. So a little bit earlier than the weekend. Uh, let's roll into this week's blend game. And we were talking about Chadwick Boseman and his contributions to black Panther, uh, to continue to honor the legacy of the actor and the work that he left behind. We are playing hashtag Chadwick Boseman blend, where we're giving our favorite Chadwick Boseman films or performances specifically because we're discussing an actor and I would like Kevin to go first. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go first, but I'm also, I'm Sean, I guess we can just go together. I think we because, have the same one. Yeah. And I think, and I think Captain America Civil War, I think we can, we'll both touch on why. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's so fun, interesting to me because I love Black Panther, but as I look at Black Panther, I, I don't just think of Chadwick. And not, and, and I guess the same thing happens with Civil War as well. But I thought Black Panther was a very strong ensemble piece. You know what I mean? It was like you know everybody in that film, Lupita. Uh, you know, you're talking about um, you know Michael Michael B. Jordan. Everybody in that film was incredible. It was it was a pure ensemble piece. Yep. And for me, when I look at Black Panther, yes, I love Chadwick in that film. But I much prefer his performance and his arc, in my opinion, personally in Civil War. Um, I love the what happens uh, with his sequence with his father. Obviously, that you know, I don't love his father dying, but I love the idea of like what it does to the character and kind of how it builds the arc of the character. And I think that for me, learning more about him through the through being introduced in Civil War, oddly enough, my favorite Tom Holland uh, appearance in, a, in in the MCU is in that film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's had his own uh, Spider-Man films as well. But I, I think that uh, Chadwick's performance in Civil War, it was the introduction of the character. I thought that within a scope of all these characters in, in this insane airport sequence, I still honed in on his performance. He was that good. He stood out so much as a supporting character within Civil War. He held his own weight. Like, I feel like Civil War, while it was a Captain America film, it felt like a very much like an Avengers film. But I do think that Chadwick's performance as Black Panther stood out. I mean, specifically... That chase uh, on the street with the flip, uh, the flip over with the motorcycle. Remember that mm-hmm. whole sequence? It was mm-hmm. un- it's unbelievable. Um, I actually think Civil War is my favorite, probably my favorite rendition of seeing Black Panther on screen. Yeah. I lo- and I love the Black Panther film, but I genuinely love Civil War. And I think that his performance in that is incredible. Well, and part of it is because it's it's for the first time we're seeing a lot of the choices that he made to bring the character to life. Yeah, um, emotionally, you're yeah. hearing the actor for the first time. You're getting a sense of the people who are committed to him um, because you get some of the people who are around him. You they do an amazing job. Again, the Russos, who's surprised, but they do an amazing job of not just introducing him, but making sure that his arc in that movie is significant. Um, It's nuts when you think of the number of things that happen in Civil War and no one feels shortchanged. 
Tony Stark gets a legitimate arc. It's a Captain America movie. They tie uh, T'Challa's journey to Bucky, so that's important. Um, Spider-Man gets introduced and is proper. Like, all of the heroes have significant things going on, and the Russos don't drop any of them. But the reason why I pick Civil War also is because, Kev- just like Kevin said, and he's right, I-, I almost think, and it's not a slight to Chadwick in the least bit, um, but he gets overshadowed in Black Panther by almost everyone else. Everyone else is so good, uh, and especially um, uh, Killmonger, uh, especially uh, the performance of Michael B. Jordan as the villain. And there's times when the villain is more uh, colorful or flamboyant or choose a little bit more scenery in a movie and they overshadow their villain, um, or they overshadow their hero. It's easier for the villain to sort of stand out. And I think that a little bit happens to Chadwick in his Black Panther movie, as great as that film is. So I'm also picking Captain America Civil War because I just thought he made a commanding first appearance uh, as a significant role. And I told this uh, story, I forget where I told it now. I think I tweeted it. I drove down from Charlotte to Atlanta to see a press screening of Captain America Civil War because we weren't getting a screening of it in Charlotte. It was the an opportunity to see it early. And for me, it was um, Spider, Spider-Man's introduction into the MCU. And I, I couldn't have been more geeked, like literally just the the hyper nerdiness powered me through a drive to Atlanta four hours down wow. for 7 p.m. screening. And I was not staying over at night. So when I got out of the screening at 930, you know, bordering oh, on 10 sure. o'clock, I turned around and drove home. Um, and I was I couldn't I had no I would have done it three nights in a row if I needed to, because I just needed to see that movie. And the first comment I gave to the rep when I walked out of the screening, uh, she said, hey, what'd you think? And I said, Black Panther was incredible because I, I don't I didn't love Black Panther growing up. I didn't I don't I'm not invested in the character. But Chadwick was so commanding in that part uh, that he that was my first initial reaction to respond to that movie. And, and that's even with Spidey coming on. So um, uh, I, I'm also choosing Captain America Civil War. Jake, are you also choosing it? Uh, I'm not. I'm actually choosing Black Panther, um, okay. which uh, it's interesting because I actually prefer Civil War as a movie. Yeah. Um, but I prefer uh, his performance in Black Panther because because I, 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 I understand the argument about the, the ensemble thing because it is. It's, a, it's such a massive ensemble. But I think the reason that I am picking him in Black Panther is because I would argue, despite the fact that it is such a massive ensemble with such an incredible collection of characters that do a lot with a little bit of screen time, uh, I still think Chadwick Boseman towers over that film. Um, mm. and, and even a portion of the film in which he disappears, um, he's still like he's still there. And, and, and really, you know, oftentimes, uh, even though we had seen him in, a, in another Marvel movie, you know, Black Panther was kind of like the origin movie. We at least like he becomes Black Panther and he, all the struggles it gets to that point. A lot of times, even within the MCU, these 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 origin stories tend to be a little bit of paint by numbers. There are certain beats they got to hit mm-hmm. to get them to that point. But I just felt like he, because he had already been set up and we sort of knew who he was, he was able to fit so much of that character into that first origin movie. And because he was able to fit in so many different story beats, was able to show such a wide range of... Uh, of emotions with this character and i mean we he showed strength he show showed vulnerability he showed weakness he showed like he, he like he, he died you know like he there are so many aspects that he was able to fit into that one movie so much so that i i like the movie black panther it's not one of my favorite mcus it's probably middle of the range for me i much prefer the movie civil war in terms of of the wide range of mcu 
But I thought his performance in Black mm-hmm. Panther was unquestionably just just unbelievable. And uh, and and honestly, had that I know I know it was a big player at the Oscars, but had he been nominated for Best Actor for mm-hmm. Black Panther, I wouldn't have blinked an eye. I would have been I would have said good, good, like good for him. Okay, well done. So um, and what an, I mean, and just imagine what he could have done with Black Panther too, with the foundation that had already been laid. I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and to Jake's point though, I will say this. To lead a film like Black Panther is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I mean you're the yeah. you're the lead, mm-hmm. and the I, weight I, and on I his think, shoulder. Yeah, and I remember I remember like when I spoke to him for Black Panther specifically, I I, I reached out to his drama, uh, his actually his directing teacher at Howard University. Oh, well, cool! And she, she and she gave me a question to to deliver to Chadwick so cool. about 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 leading about being a leading man, a yeah. leading actor in Hollywood. And the question was about the idea of kind of like, what's it like to do to be a leading man in the films that you're in? Like he was talking about, you know, get on up, uh, I know, 42. And he said, he wait, wait, his, how did he react when he pulled that video out? Uh, I mean, he, but, yeah, Chadwick Boseman was like, he's a super chill guy. So he was just like, oh, it's my it's my it's my teacher. Like he was like, <laughs> you know, it was a, it was it was, just, it was a cool moment. But like he I he's not he, he wasn't the most of explosive like type of interview. He was very like chill, very yeah. serious, I found, um, but in a very respectful and great way. And I remember him just going through this amazing answer about what it's like to lead a film and what like and how the lead actor of the film is also kind of the of a director mm-hmm. of the movie. He, he, he is the the character is the one that kind of has to tell the other actors where they are and what they're doing. It's it, it's very much like a director being the leading man in a film. Not not saying that a leading actor of every film directs the movie, but there's a sense of responsibility that person has. So to Jake's point, it's actually interesting. Black Panther uh, is probably the tougher performance because it, you're you're dealing with the leading character. You're, you are the leading man in the film. So I actually I, I go both ways here. And as much as I like Black Panther, I do prefer Civil War. But at the end of the day, the weight of what Black Panther meant and the, what he was able to do as the leading character, I do think is something that you can't yeah. deny. Have you guys um, rewatched just, it since he passed? Yeah. No, you guys, I, I watched I, Black I, Panther. I, uh, yes, I watched it uh, the day two days after he passed. Away. It hits differently, man. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be honest. Oh, every right oh, now, yeah. Apple TV is is pushing it hard. Whenever you're in their main menu, it's one of the first things that it's like, yeah. hey, like we have. And I gotta be every time that image pops up, it's a it's a little bit of a gut punch. It's, it's you know, hard, it's man. it's um, I, I'm not well, quite sure I'm ready to rewatch it just yet. I think I think what's interesting about Black Panther on a rewatch is uh, and apologies, by the way, uh, anybody on video I was on my phone. I was texting one of my producers from work. I apologize to anyone think I was being rude. Um, I don't think anybody does. But anyways, Kevin, uh, why did but you we text juggle me? a lot? I don't think <laughs> no, I, know. I don't think Sean's <laughs> shirt is stupid. Why are you just wanted to that? explain my, my producer was asking me a question about something. From Your work producer tomorrow. is Gabe. That's all the producer you have, <laughs> Gabe. Um, all right. So real quick, though, one thing I will say, though, is that when it comes to Black Panther on the rewatch, uh, there's a scene when he goes to visit his father in like this in this afterlife uh, oof, type oof. of scenario yeah. and that scene hits way differently knowing where you know where we are now and you know with him passing away going back real quick to civil war the one thing i want to say about it and i, I touched on this in my explanation i think what's happened what, i think what, what i love about civil war sean is that he stood out so much yeah in a film that he didn't necessarily need to stand out in. No, not it was at all. like, do you know what I mean? It was like, it was, it was like you watched, he, he gave so much weight to every scene he was in that he made it matter. And to me, I feel like if you could stick out like that in a gigantic film like that, 
other than just being the title of your film, which is Black Panther, clearly you're going to stand out in that movie. Sure. I just find that to be that to me was interesting because as a performance, he really, really nailed it and made the character important, important and not just a throwaway and not just an introduction. It was actually well, a genuine, fully arced character. And for that, I'll, I'll give credit to the Russos and probably even Feige, because honestly, from a big yeah. picture point of view, that you include him to set up his next movie. And it was more than that. It was so much more than that. Way more than just a setup. It wasn't just like, oh, here's Black Panther. We'll see him in the... In the, in the yeah, yeah, it was a It was a fleshed out... Well, Marcus I mean, that, and McFeely, his, too, I guess. By tying yeah, him but, to Bucky, you know, it makes it really important. But it's, And his dad dying is what sets off the whole mm-hmm. story. It does. Yes. Very much so. Yes. T'Challa's story is what anchors Civil War. Jeez, I it's think Black Panther... Crazy. Black Panther was the character who was sitting with... Um, uh, the villain, Don, uh, Daniel Brühl's character at the end, isn't he? Good Lord. It's a Civil yeah. War is uh, I rewatched Civil War and Black Panther back to back after Bozeman passed. It's not and, these and two, which though. is which is why I kind of had this perspective it's of not like those two. What? It's not those two, though. It's not oh, it's yeah, not yeah, Infinity War and Endgame, but it is great. It's, it's definitely great. Civil War is top five MCU. God, now I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, God. Civil War is top five Here we go. Me. All right. So Randy Buss. Y- Michelle Garrist and Kimberly Sue both said uh, 42, and many, many others also said 42. Uh, Aiden Erdahl, Ray Perkins, Michael Breen, and many, many others said Black Panther. Jake was sort of saying, you know, I wish we had more films to choose from. You know, yep. the, but the one thing we talked about with Chadwick Boseman and his legacy is that we we lament the stories that he did not get a yeah. chance to tell. And it's hard not to pick Black Panther oh, yeah, just, just just in terms of performance and and just what that character someone meant. Someone yeah. said on uh and I, I I guess I kind of understand this comparison. They said it would almost be like playing Christopher Reeve and not choosing Superman. Yeah. Um but I, we still chose Black Panther technically we speaking. Yeah. We chose the character. Sure. It's just mm-hmm. a different movie. And but but going back to Black Panther on the rewatch, Michael B Jordan ah. like him and Michael B Jordan at that end scene might be one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. Why do I care for a guy who's killed over 130 people? Yeah. Because Kugler and the performances and Chadwick, that scene is masterful. He's amazing. Oh, All right. the, the wide shot in the fall. Oh. For next week, uh, you can reach out on Twitter. We're going to be playing hashtag, I can't believe we haven't done this before, and Kevin, I'm going to have to put a limitation on you. Uh, hashtag Gary Oldman blend. So do we oh. say you can't play true romance? Why? Is Why that can't? fair? That's, that's fine. That's like a default. That's, that's it's my it. default. Okay. I have my other one. All right. Hashtag Gary Oldman blend. So you can let us know your oh, pick via social media if you want to. That's you a can good also one. Email I think mine's going to freaking blow your mind. Real blend at I, cinemablend.com. Can you what? Can I put a little side note into the into for Ooh, our audience sure. real quick? Yeah. Uh, there's a movie that Gary day. Oldman stars in, which is arguably the one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. It's called Tiptoes. Yeah. And it is so bad. And I don't think anybody know it exists, but it has Gary Oldman, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale. Seek it out if you want to see one of the worst movies you'll ever. It's it's incredibly offensive and very bad. All right. Well, I'm fascinated to see if anybody chooses that for next week. All right. uh, You can send us a review also at realblendedcinemablend.com. This week's review comes to uh, us from someone named Jeremiah Battle, who writes, 
Hey guys, my name is Jeremiah Battle, and I've been a huge fan of your podcast for six to seven months now. I don't know why it's taken me this long to write a review, but better late than never. I totally agree with you, Jeremiah. Better late than never. Um, as a person who loves films and wants to be a screenwriter or director, watching your podcast each and every week gives me something to look forward to. Seeing filmmakers of all capacities come on the show and talk about their careers and behind the scenes stories, ideas, and processes is super interesting and inspiring. And watching you guys ooze your film love is something that I can appreciate and relate to such an interesting choice of words such a personal level because me and my friends act the same way I wouldn't have chosen ooze there I get what he's saying but yeah that's that's an uncomfortable secrete the secret of the ooze wasn't that the Ninja Turtles movie (laughs) when the week oh this is really great when the week is going badly when it's exhausting even unbearable I always think to myself well at least I'll get to watch Real Blend this week. And that's something that's so special to me because to me, you guys are more than some guys on a screen talking about movies. To me, you guys feel like a family, a film family that I get to tune into each and every week. So when I first read that uh, review on the email, uh, I clipped that part out and sent it to the guys just to remind them that uh, this little show that we put together is is growing in ways that none of us ever predicted. And that we're never allowed to quit ever. Kevin, Jake, Sean, and Gabe, Real Blend is something so special, and I thank you so much for sharing your loving, heated, thoughtful, and passionate discussions about films and putting it out there for the world to hear. This podcast is a true marvel. Thank you for inspiring a young aspiring filmmaker to make films that one day hopefully all you guys will love to watch. Dunkirk? Tenant or whatever it is now that you've changed it to. Well, we haven't changed it to much of anything. Um, so we'll we'll still figure it out as we get close to the thing. Uh, okay, plugs. And thank you, Jeremiah, for that review. That, yeah, that review is outstanding. Thank you very much. Please continue to send your reviews to us uh, at realblend.com or go to the iTunes app and leave us a review there. Um, and uh, just keep the kind words flowing. We really appreciate it. Uh, Tease, Real Blend Premium. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing our favorite memories from TIFF. Uh, so for people who don't get the joke at the beginning of the show, this week, uh, every year, is when we're normally in Toronto. And there's been a number of events that have just not happened uh, this year because of COVID. And none of them have really affected me quite the way that not being in Toronto has affected me. Uh, like, we didn't go to San Diego for Comic-Con, or we didn't go to Vegas for CinemaCon, all these things that are normal. But the first this, week this of weekend, September... Yeah, this weekend, I was actually... It was weird. I was doing my fantasy football draft yeah. with my buddies, and at one point, someone was like, why have we never done it over this weekend before? Like, why is this the first time? And I, I kind of thought, like, why is this the first? And I was like, yeah, because I'm normally in Toronto, so I normally can't do the fantasy football yeah. draft this time. It hurts. So we're going to do a, a Real Blend Premium episode and talk about some of our favorite memories of being up at that film festival, which has been truly outstanding. If you guys want to subscribe to the Real Blend Premium and you haven't yet, go to bit.ly backslash real blend premium so until next week you can follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv and at sean underscore o'connell you can drop his review on itunes which means a ton to us and we will be back here next week with all new oh and there's also a bonus episode which you probably could have listened to by now it's uh bring it on peyton reed and uh jessica bendinger um the screenwriter and they're celebrating 20 years of bring it on so you can download that uh right now it's available for you and we'll be back next week with all new episodes of real blend until then the curious case of benjamin button i like that movie. don't be a menace to south central while drinking your juice in the hood you want to get the lands i don't think, I don't, think I don't think fincher i love that, that movie <laughs> i don't think fincher you guys not seen that, that? Oh, it's, it's amazing <laughs> i love that movie 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.